Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. So after the slaughter of 19 children at the Uvalde Public School last month, Mitch McConnell sat down with Senator John Cornyn of Texas and told him, which means, Cornyn, you are going to sit down with the Democrats and pass some really flaccid, tiny, tiny, tiny improvement in our gun laws that we can use as reform because 19 kids makes us look bad. No, we don't care, but we have to act like we do. So go do something and uh, try not to piss anybody off with it. So there's a lot of pressure for Democrats and Republicans to do something in the wake of this horror. Members of both parties said it was an uphill battle to find any kind of common ground because, well, what does the media like to say? We're so divided and both sides do it. So the senators announced at the beginning of this week, the beginning of this week, they had agreed on a framework of a bill. 20 senators, 10 Democratic and 10 Republican, announcing a breakthrough agreement on gun violence, the first in 30 years, and it would save lives. And it wasn't anything major, but it was something. It was a little bit of progress. That's how our week began. And the bill included red flag laws, which would allow cops, family members, or even doctors to go to court to take somebody's firearms away for a year or a few months or a few weeks if they feel that person could be a threat to themselves or others. 19 states and D.C., including Florida and Indiana, controlled by Republicans, have some form of red flag laws. You don't have to have a criminal record or a history of mental illness to have your gun taken away temporarily. If a judge can be persuaded by an argument from a doctor or a family member or the cops that you're a danger to yourself or others, they can take your guns away for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, no more than a year. Also in the bill, uh, billions in new funding for mental health and school safety, which Republicans say they really care about a lot, right? Closing the boyfriend loophole, because as it is now under federal law, if a man beats his wife, he can't get a gun. But what if a dude beats his girlfriend? Well, they want to close that boyfriend loophole so that no domestic abuser, spouse, or a serious dating partner can buy a gun if they're convicted of, you know, beating the crap out of a woman they're dating. Right? Outrageous, right? Um, they want to have a, the first ever federal law against gun trafficking and straw purchasing. Hard to disagree with that. Enhanced background check for people under 21 buying guns and a short pause to have the background check. Not banning people under 21 from getting an AR-15. 21-year-olds, can, 18-year-olds can still do it. It's just going to have an expanded background check. They might have to wait a little bit. If an 18-year-old male with all those hormones runs into a gun shop and says, I need a gun right now, expanded background check, short wait, not too serious, right? 
Some of us would say, why do any civilians need to own these assault weapons, and why does anyone under 21 need to own them? But nope. Those weren't on the table. Clarification of laws regarding who needs to register as a licensed gun dealer to make sure that all the commercial sellers are actually doing background checks. That's great. Not anything we need to end our nation's gun violence epidemic, but it's it's progress. It's tiny progress. But Chris Murphy began our week saying this shows Democrats and Republicans can work together in a way that truly saves lives. And today it's dead, folks. Today, it, 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 they're still going to try and do something. But essentially, Texas Republicans made sure it was dead today. It was already on life support. You know why? Uh, Republicans were really mad about the part that keeps guys who beat the holy hell out of their girlfriends from buying guns. Yeah, the main unresolved issue was uh, the wording over the closure of the boyfriend loophole. Again, existing federal law allows domestic violence offenders to be banned from buying guns if they beat up their wife or a partner they live with or a partner they have a child with. And all they wanted to do is make it, if you have a continuing relationship of a romantic or intimate nature, if you beat up your girlfriend, you can't have a gun, can't buy one until you get your record cleared. No. Republicans are holding up a tiny flaccid deal on gun safety because they want to make sure They want some people who are convicted of domestic violence or subject to a domestic violence restraining order to still be able to get guns. So earlier this week, when Chris Murphy announced that John Cornyn of Texas, who Mitch McConnell said, work with those Democrats and do something, said, yeah, okay, we'll 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 do something. He didn't want to do it, uh, but he did it. it tiny. He killed anything in this deal that might actually save American lives. And so earlier this week, he said, yes, we've taken the lead. We, we have a compromise on gun restrictions. Don't worry. Doesn't do anything serious. It's not going to make liberals happy. Well, in very unambiguous terms, the Republican Party of Texas Platform Committee last night unanimously approved a resolution condemning the package and condemning John Cornyn. They, they said people under 21 are most likely to be victims of violence crime and thus most likely to need to defend themselves. In other words... Let the Buffalo shooter and the Uvalde shooter have their AR-15s. Red flag laws violate one's right to due process and are a pre-crime punishment to people not adjudicated guilty. Just because you beat your girlfriend up doesn't mean you beat your girlfriend up. Whereas waiting periods on gun purchases harm those who need to acquire the means of self-defense in emergencies such as riots. If there's a riot, are you going to run to a gun store to buy a freaking gun or are you going to get away from the riot? Whereas all gun control is a violation of the Second Amendment and our God-given rights. So they reject it and they rebuke John Cornyn, Tom Tillis, Roy Blunt, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Lindsey Graham, Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, and Pat Toomey. So today, John Cornyn was supposed to speak at the Republican Texas Convention in Houston. And even before, even before this resolution, people were angry with him. John Cornyn's campaign sponsored the lanyards that, that you hang your credentials from around your neck. Thousands of people started throwing those out today. There's piles of red lanyards that people threw out at the convention because John Cornyn's office did it. And today, John Cornyn himself took the stage to try to reassure his Republicans, his fellow Texas Republicans. Don't worry. I quashed universal background checks. I killed the assault weapons ban. This is nothing. I promise you, this is nothing. And I want to show you, he, he, he came up there and said Biden's gun-grabbing wish list is off the table. And here's how his speech went. Number one.
what you just heard went on for 14 minutes straight. The entire speech. Constant booing. And he said, look, all we're trying to do is keep guns out of the hands of criminals and the mentally ill. That's all we're trying to do. We don't want to take any law-abiding citizens' guns away. And he kept saying, we're stopping Biden from having any gun bans. He told the crowd he had killed the ban on high-capacity magazines. He said he, he killed the assault weapons ban. He killed universal background checks. Don't worry, lunatics will still get guns. He tried to convince them that his job was saying no. Listen how that went. This is number two. You know, by the way, how are you supposed to make a deal, Joe Biden, with a guy who thinks their whole job is saying no and then brags about it in the middle of the negotiations? He kept saying, don't worry, all I did was say no to Biden. All I did was say no. Guys, this plan has got a lot of criticism from both sides. Liberals, you know, feel it doesn't go far enough. House Democrats last week passed a package with a much stronger restrictions, like raising the age to buy mass kill machines from 18 to 21. But Republicans hate it more. And they say anything that might save some American lives is a slippery slope to taking away my entertainment. Donald Trump called any uh, calls for gun control as a grotesque effort. There are 38 sets of grieving grandparents in Uvalde, Texas, who might feel otherwise. But Texas Republicans don't care about grieving parents any more than they care about dead kids. Here's John Cornyn trying to finish. So let's take our country back. For 14 minutes straight, the Republicans booed John Cornyn, not because he's done anything, but because he sat down with Democrats to talk about doing something, because he met with Democrats and said no to almost everything they wanted just for meeting with them. He talked about Uvalde today. He said, my heart breaks for the families. And when he said that, the Texas Republican Party delegates booed him. An entire classroom was slaughtered with an AR-15 280 miles away from that stage. And the Texas Republican Party booed John Cornyn, their own senator, for proposing even the mildest, most flaccid gun safety legislation. You know, our media likes to talk about how polarized we are. You know, oh, we're so divided, aren't we? No, no, we're not divided. No, white people are divided. Uh, When they talk about this polarization between the parties, no. It's the polarization within the parties. Now, a lot of attention is paid to the war in the Democratic Party between the left and the center. I mean, the Hillary-Bernie factions still hate each other, but they came together a bit better in 2020. If they had come together a bit better in 2016, we might not see Roe v. Wade going away this summer. But what you saw today at the Texas Republican Convention, that doesn't happen at Democratic events. This polarization inside the Republican Party is so extreme that anyone who even tries to work with the other side becomes persona non grata. They never planned on passing a law. This is more Lucy yanking the football away from Charlie Brown. They just come up with something to shuffle the shit around and do nothing. This bill is dead. They're not going to do anything. Guys, how many times are we going to fall for this? I I feel like we have to tell the rest of the world we're sorry. You wonder why this happens only in America, these mass killings? Shitty, selfish white people. That's why mass killings will never stop in the USA. They despise the limpest, most modest reforms. 
This gun control proposal Cornyn's working on is mild, but these people think it's heresy. The problem isn't both sides in our politics. The problem is the Republican Party. The problem is inside the Republican Party. This gun deal's not going to happen because Republicans care more about the rights of domestic abusers to buy more assault weapons than they care about your child's right to not get their fucking head blown off. And the same people saying blue lives matter are the same ones who think cops should have to face criminals armed with AR-15s. My friends, they're not Christian. They're not patriots. They're not pro-life. It's not about their God-given right. It's about their goddamned entertainment. We are very sorry, rest of the world. Signed, Sane America. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, a conversation with one of the luckiest musicians in the world, Brian Ray, who has played with Paul McCartney for 20 years, playing guitar, and he plays bass when Paul's on a guitar or on a bass. It's a fantastic conversation, and we recorded this just a few hours after Bruce Springsteen came out on stage. And by the way, McCartney's band played Glory Days. They did a Springsteen song with Springsteen at the last McCartney show. It's fantastic. And then your calls, all for the next hour of Open Phones. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I am Always thrilled whenever I can get Brian Ray to come and join us. He was actually one of the first guests we had, like the first month we were doing this show on the air. You, Riff Raff, probably know him best for his ongoing gig with Paul McCartney, where he's been a part of Paul's touring band uh, for 20 years. He plays guitar, he sings backing vocals, and of course he takes over on bass whenever Paul sits at a piano or plays guitar, ukulele, or mandolin. Brian Ray's career has included incredible stints as guitarist and musical director for Edit James, which he joined her touring band at an absurdly, ridiculously young age. And over the years, he's had studio work with everybody from Rita Coolidge to Kelly Clarkson, from Juanes to Shakira. He is the co-writer of Smokey Robinson's One Heartbeat. God damn, that's still a great song. Uh, he's also done his own music with the band The Bayonets and his solo records This Way Up and Mondo Magneto. And since the pandemic... Mr. Brian Ray has released several singles on Wicked Cool Records, which is, of course, the label run by good friend of this show, Little Steven Van Zandt, including Got a New Thing, which you heard as we came in. That was written, produced, and arranged by Brian, who sings and plays guitars and keyboards on it. Last night, Paul McCartney and the band closed their first tour in a few years at New Jersey's MetLife Stadium. It featured a 
onstage cameo from indie singer-songwriter Bruce Springsteen. It was the party of the year. It is such a great pleasure to welcome Brian Ray back to the show. Hello, sir. How are you, John? Thanks so much for having me, man. I'm, I'm exhausted just from that setup. I don't know if I can keep up with all that. You know what? I've seen you. I, I've I've seen you do interviews, and I I hate when they don't highlight all the different stuff from your career because I, I'm I'm kind of proud that I've done twenty thousand different gigs, and I look at your resume, and we had Rusty on the other day as well, and we're talking about all the different you know tracks he's played on. I mean, your your career is so expansive that it's really kind of a pleasure that the McCartney thing is is a day job part of it and uh i'm i'm really always excited to talk to you about everything else you're working on i I gotta ask how are you feeling last night i knew as the tour closer two nights before mccartney turns 80 i knew it would be a big show with a lot of energy from the crowd but i've seen this guy so many times i've seen you play with him so many times it, it really exceeded my every expectation Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I mean, a day after a show like that, which was magnificent and more exciting than even any of us could have expected, it, there's an afterglow, you know. Of course, you're you're exhausted. You're very happy. It's very satisfying stuff. And it just couldn't have been more of a thrill, you know, to, to be up there in that beautiful stadium with Bruce sitting in with us, a birthday greeting from Bon Jovi and... Uh, with Paul in just great form, just so much energy. There's times on stage where there's a, a, a third entity that that sort of carries us, you know? Yes. There's times when it's a little bit more work to do what we do. And there's other times when it just flows like, you know, like a well-performed ballet of sorts, you know, a ballet of rock, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like last <laughs> night was one of those nights and it was just a joy, a real joy. The last time that you joined us in studio, it's kind of, I just realized when you joined me in the studio at Sirius XM, um, I had just seen you with the band and Springsteen and little Steven had just joined you on stage to do. I saw her standing there like two nights earlier. And now I'm talking to you after Springsteen joins you on stage, but this time to do one of his own songs, I did not expect you guys to launch into glory days with your guest. I think that's probably a first that I can think of where a, another guest has come on and, and you've done their song. You know, I, I would have to uh, go through the, uh, the log book on that one, but I think you might <laughs> be right. I mean, it's not what Paul usually does when he has a special guest. It's rare. It's wonderful. It's special. And it's usually that guest sitting in and, you know, kind of, joining with us on a song of Paul's, but this was very different. And maybe it speaks to the nature of their relationship. They're really good friends. They love and respect each other. And I think they spend a good amount of time socializing. So yes. it's just like there's a fondness between them, even though musically they they come from very different places. There's just a great deal of respect. And here we are, you know, we're in Jersey. Maybe it's a good <laughs> idea to, you know, honor him that way, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, they, they did uh, I Want to Be Your Man, which I don't think Paul has done live since the 90s. So uh, a lot of surprises there. For, for me, Brian, I got to say, I, I've seen you guys play so many times. And I was sort of I brought my child last night. It was his first ever concert. And uh, and I was and I thank you for the, the greetings for him. And I, w- I was telling my friends, you know, all this and that about the show. And I kind of thought, well, I've seen this show. There's no surprises for me. I, I got to say the addition of a three-piece horn section for the first time in Paul's career. I don't think Wings ever did that. Um, 
it was really transformative. And some of the songs in the set just took on a whole new dimension with that. How is it for you, after all these years of touring, to suddenly, you've been the tightest band for years. He's never been with a band this long. Wings lineup was famous for changing every six weeks. The Fabs only toured those four guys for like four years to suddenly have three new guys in the band. You know, it's it's a great question, and and it's a big ask, you know, to introduce three new people to a band that, as you said, had been together at that point for 18 years straight, just the five of us, that's all. And we used to joke about, we're never going to have people, you know, wearing fringe jackets and playing tambourines and singing backup. We'll handle all of that. Thank you very much. And uh, we have this incredible band where, of course, Wix Wickens, who's a bit of a wizard, handles... Yeah you know, horns, strings, organ, yeah. piano, everything back there uh, and nothing up his sleeve. You know, he's he's playing a shaker with his foot while he's playing a cello with his. <laughs> he's the guy's amazing. He's a machine. Quite something. But there is nothing like real humans playing horns at a high level. And we found these guys, two of whom happened to have attended Paul's Performing Arts School in Liverpool called Lippa. Liverpool yeah. Institute of Institute. Performing Arts. And uh, it, Mike, the trumpet player, Mike Davis, uh, has a photo of him. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Taking it, getting his diploma from Paul. He goes to shake his hand and Mike Davis is nervous and awkwardly, you know, Paul ends up with his finger <laughs> in a handshake. But anyway, full circle like these guys were young graduates and now they're in his band imagine what that's like for them uh they add so much to the band they're, they're youthful hilarious just a lot of bonhomie you know just a lot of good feelings and cheer and very positive we've welcomed them wholeheartedly it's been a blast it was amazing Sir, songs like let it go uh, letting go by wings just took on a, yeah. a whole new life and um and and even some of the older so i mean you know the the apple jam from the end of abbey road with a horn section yeah. it was just I, it made me realize you guys haven't released a live album in a number of years and i really hope this tour yields a new one because uh i i i mean it's always an amazing show people are always weeping and are transformed you have to see it all the time but i wasn't ready for how just thrilling it would feel to see you guys adding a horn section and how it really seemed to raise everyone's game and be a lot of fun for you so it's so much fun watching you work mr ray i must say oh thank you so much john that's that's kind yeah i i mean it has just added so much color force and so they've classed up the joint. Let's just yeah, be honest. seriously, yeah. seriously. Um, you were really busy over lockdown, Brian. I got to tell you, you, you know, some people just watched a lot of TV and binge watch stuff. You got down to writing and getting into a studio and playing and laying down some tracks. I the the single got a new thing, which uh, was put out by our friend Little Steven. I, I'm, I'm listening to this song and I just thought, wow. It on the one hand, it's got these like harmonies that are evocative of queen and elo and then it just kicks in with a propulsive like 90s weezer edge so imagine my surprise when i found oh no scott schreider from weezer plays bass on this track yeah and sang along with abe jr on drums and vocals as well you know uh yeah, man. Thanks so much. I, I've been so fortunate to have been signed by uh, little Steven uh, 
and to be asked to be a part of his great label, Wicked Cool Records, right here in New York City. Uh, and to get a lot of action, a lot of play and a lot of love from the channel that he curates, you know, uh, yeah, uh, the ground garage over, his, uh, as you know, your home, Sirius XM Channel 21. So, I mean, it's just been such a pleasure because not only is Stephen, uh, he's been so good to me and he's so generous, but he's a real A&R man. Back in the day, John, as you know, in the music biz, we had these men and women who were A&R people, who were artists and repertoire, and they would work with a new artist to hone in who they are and yeah. what they really want to do musically and what they're best suited for and what maybe they could leave, you know, uh, by the wayside. And Stephen is that. He will be on the phone for 40 minutes talking about an eight bar intro and how he would like to change it. And then, you know, I, I resist sometimes and go like, oh, I've already finished it. And and they says, well, look, at just try it. Just try it. And then by God, he's right. He's right. And of course, he's right. He's Stevie Van Zandt, man. He's like the master. <laughs> and uh, it's just a joy to be led and to be, um, you know, welcomed in that way, you know, and treated as a peer to him. You know, it's, it's lovely. Yeah. It's been great. I mean, the production value is tight, and I can tell that you put a lot of work into it. I, I'm always interested in when you decide to take on a, a, a song and cover it as your own. I remember your, your cover of uh, Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young, which is just dynamite and managed to be both spiritual and dirty at the same time. I don't know how you pull it off, but you just did <laughs> Willie, Willie Dixon's I Ain't Superstitious that came out over the summer. Uh, you did yeah. a cover of uh, Procol Harum's Whiskey Train. Like, yeah. I'm always curious to see what you're working on when you're not on the road with that guy. But what is it, Brian, that makes you say, oh, that's a track that I want to try to put my own spin on and interpret my way? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, so lockdown has been really good for me. And during that time when I have a, a single that's an A-side meant to be uh, good enough for little Steven to deem the coolest song in the world of that week. Um, I'll often not have something as great that I wrote for a B-side, and it's often a good opportunity to express something that, uh, you know, my own, as you say, spin on a known song, as I did with Cinnamon Girl or Ain't Superstitious. These are just songs that were very important to me, and I'm really glad to be able to do a spin on it. And during lockdown, I just got to indulge all of that stuff, writing, but also reimagining songs, then going into the studio. I have a home studio and a trusted engineer and great musicians around me and a great mix engineer and just have a great time. It's so fun for me. I, I have a ton of laughs. I find it really rewarding. I think other people might find what we do to make the art that we make, you in the studio doing this, me in the studio doing that, they might find it incredibly tedious. Like if they saw what we really did to make the, the final product, they'd go like, oh my God, you've heard this song 868 times and you still want to hear it again. Yeah. I have to, you know, yeah. and it's just so fun for me. I mean, back to your, the ones that you quoted, Neil Young is an old fave of mine. And I knew him when I was a little kid and, uh, Jeff Beck's Truth, his first album was, it's my Bible on guitar, you know, so, and that track is sort of the ultimate track on that album for me. 
So they're just fun things to tackle. And little Steven indulges me, you know, he hears my idea and then he says, okay, go. I trust you. You know, it's, it's just so much fun. Blast. What can I say? I mean, I, I think that, you know, the Rolling Stones Blue and Lonesome record, their blues cover record is, is by far the greatest thing they've done in decades because they don't sound like they're trying to be the Stones. They're not trying to write a song that Stones like. They're just having fun, being exuberant, playing music they love. And your cover of, of I Ain't Superstitious is just right up there. I mean, it's as good as anything on the Stones album. It is just so raucous and so powerful. Um, it made me wonder, like, how, how was lockdown for you, Brian? Obviously, you use the time productively, but was it scary? Here in New York, we were just hearing sirens all day, and um, it, after a while, I realized, yeah, if I don't get back to creativity, I'm going to lose my mind. How, how was the whole time for you? Well, yeah, I, you know, just to that point there, it, it, it was heartbreaking for all of us to watch what was going on specifically in, uh, in Manhattan, in New York, uh, you know, this this tightly compacted island where it got hit so hard so early on. And in every night we would watch on the news as people got out on their fire escapes and balconies and bank pots and pans for the hardworking first responders and stuff. I mean, it just took my breath away. The love and the community of this city at that point. Um, and like all of us, man, it was just a tough time to go through. Fortunately, in my case, um, I had a little getaway pad I had just bought out in uh, Palm Springs. Mm -hmm. And it was a great place to isolate. And yeah. fortunately, I also don't mind my own company. I don't <laughs> need a lot of, you know, action socially. I'm, you know, uh, I've had a lot of action socially and, it, and it's just fun to create and I accepted that as something that just was necessary. It was just too scary to be out there. Um, yeah. And then it was also really lent itself to doing work, to concentrate. There was so little distracting us. And my, wasn't the air clear and the birds were singing and there were other sides of that where we just went like, oh my God, this is how it must have used to be back in the, the day. photos of the sky in LA. I mean, I lived in that town for 12 years and it was amazing to see the sky. It was beautiful. Yeah, really beautiful. So, you know, I was in a lovely new relationship and we were in lockdown together and we had a, a brilliant time. We were collaborating on a podcast um, and uh, that went very well. That was with iHeart. The action. Yeah. On tour with Brian Ray. And we did one season that went very well. And that was uh, an accomplishment that lasted a lot of the lockdown. And Mandy Wimmer, who I was with, happened to be the producer and the person who edited it and worked so hard on it. She did a great job on it. And so we found a way to really enjoy that time together. Yeah. Nice. You know, you talk about the isolation, but you also released a single earlier this year that uh, is really dynamite. And that is, of course, the story of Bonnie and Clyde, which you released with Orianthe. Um, can you tell us a bit about that one, how that came to be? Well, that came to be because Mandy, my girlfriend that I was with, uh, as a co-owner of, of a cool little podcast media company called Black Barrel Media, who specializes uh, in Old West stories and true crime, and they have a, a brilliant series called Infamous America, 
about all of the the great you know dark things that have happened in our in, in our history and they were doing uh, a series within infamous america on bonnie and clyde and they started talking about how it was going to go and they had the content for it but they didn't have a theme song and i suggested wouldn't it be cool to do you know uh to use serge gainsborough's uh bonnie and clyde he did with jane birkin so long ago which is such a great swing and little track Mm -hmm. but of course this is an american western now i like that juxtaposition but they thought well this is for uh it's an american story about americans released in america and i said well you could redo it you know long story short i ended up offering to do something and i found that um uh bonnie parker of of bonnie and clyde bonnie parker had written poetry and her final poem was called end of the end of the trail i think it has a few titles and she put it out there and she said i want this to be open source i don't want copyright i want people to use it so i looked into it a lot and said this is really something i could use so i based a new song new melody and the music uh, which I wrote for it around sort of a, um, you know, a distillation of her long poem. And we put it together. And that's what it is. It's the story of Bonnie and Clyde. And Orianti was kind enough to come in with me. But I did that really, really for Mandy and for our um, for our for their uh, podcast. And it's going to be a B-side on an upcoming oh. Wicked Cool single. Okay, great. I, I can't wait for that. Now, now I, I, I have so much to talk to you about, and I never have enough time to ask you all my questions. I'm not going to ask right. a million Etta James questions because I've talked to you about her so much in the past, but I did want to ask, how many people, Brian, have come up to you and said, at last, was their wedding song? In the thousands. Can you round it off to the nearest thousand? <laughs> yes, it's, it's 6,000 or so. <laughs> it's remarkable, you know, uh, and... It's interesting to me that she didn't really catch on in a commercial sense the way, say, Aretha did. But there's something about Etta James that is continuing to touch people and be important in their lives in a similar way that Smokey or the Beatles have. You know, it's just some heart zone of hers where she expresses something. I guess that's what it is. I think we fall in love with artists that express something that we have inside that maybe we don't have the talent to express maybe, but she's just, you know, she's forever. She's my queen. I love her to bits. Yeah. Um, So what's next for you? I know that now you and McCartney have wrapped up the, uh, the North American tour. There's one more date. You guys are doing Glastonbury again. Um, Yeah. uh, you know, as much as I love your day job, I'm curious, will there be more gigs with Paul coming up and will you be doing your own live shows uh, in the future soon? I don't have any breaking news on Paul, but um, I will say that I have uh, an upcoming single on Wicked Cool Records in November. That's exciting uh, on which uh, Bonnie and Clyde is the B-side. Oh, great. And then I have a Bayonet single. This is first breaking news, Bayonet's. Nice single in february also on wicked cool records 
I'm a fan. I love the bayonet stuff. You have just such a great L.A. rock sound on all that work, and I can't wait. Please, Brian, obviously our, our door is always open to you for anything you're doing musically, but also on politics as well. It's always just so great to talk to you. And I want to thank you as well for uh, yet another great tour with Paul McCartney two years ago. We didn't know if this would ever happen again, and it's so great to see you and the band having such a great time. And boy, it was just—it just was like a rediscovery of all the songs this latest this latest go round. And so, thank you for that, and thank you for being so productive in lockdown. You put me to shame with all the great music you made. Oh man, thank you so much for having me on. You're you're the best at this. I have to say, you ask great questions and you know your stuff. It's such a pleasure. Uh, Before I go, let me quote Mr. Brian Ray. I'll never understand how a lifelong criminal who wears high heels and more hairspray than Dolly Parton convinced hardworking Americans he was their populist champion. (laughs) Brian, how do our listeners follow you and keep up with all your work? Well, (laughs) you know, uh, social media is usually uh, at Brian Ray Guitar. Um, I'm all over Facebook with a few different accounts. And then, uh, you know, please... uh, tune into wicked cool records and support a great independent label and uh like that wonderful it's great to see you sir congrats on a great tour be well and i hope to see you in la very soon cheers thanks so much john what a pleasure thank you and we'll be right back VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Let's say hello to Mark in Maryland. Hi, Mark. Welcome. Hey, good evening. I am. I want to, want to pick your brain. Okay. Basically, I call back in February. This is my second call, and I thoroughly enjoy your show. Thank you. And what, what gets me sometimes when I get riled up reading the paper, which I try not to read very often, um, I do it in small doses. We have to, we, we've got to have a two-party system, and the party that has been co-opted, should I, should I stay that party and try to build it within, or should I bolt? That's the big uh, debate, right? I'm a physical. Well, it is because I'm a physical conservative, socially moderate to liberal, depending on the subject. Right. Basically, if you would take my dream candidate would would have been basically a combination of Rockefeller and Bobby Kennedy. That's that's actually and the, that's actually kind of center center left to me. Um, kind of yeah, center, Which, which well, Rockefeller are we talking about? Which are we talking about? Jay Nelson? Which which Rockefeller? Nelson, Nelson yeah. Oysters. Yeah, how dare you, Chris? We're having a smart and, and the reason, and the reason why, and the reason why is it's not so much 
it's what you spend, you know, the, the national purse and how it's spent is more, it, you know, yes, do we spend right. it on the, you know, because I'm, I'm a spiritual person and not a religious person. So, you know, right on. And that's why I, I, I enjoy your, your conversation about religion, because that's what it is. It's man-made. Man-made yeah. religion corrupts absolutely, which is what the Latin phrase used to be. I don't think it corrupts absolutely. Um, I want to say I want to say there's religion can do a lot of good things. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very critical of fundamentalism. For me, it's about, you know, the you extreme right wing, extreme conservative, because I find spiritual people use religion to be better people. Um, fundamentalists use religion to pretend they're better people. And that's across the boards, oh. all religions. The more right-wing a religious person is, the more they oppress women, they oppress gay people, they have sex hang-ups, the more they think violence is okay and that God thinks violence is okay if my side does it. So I'm, I'm not anti-religion at all. I, 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 but I generally, you know, I trust people seeking the truth. I don't trust people who claim they have it. Well, that's, that's a good point. And, and, but when when you get in conversations with, well, I would say the the corrupting side of of, of the GOP, mm-hmm. you know you get you get riled up, which is kind of fun. It's fun to hear. But I want I, I want to speak to the ones that are that are the core Republicans that are not that way because okay, our yeah. voices being are not being heard. I and, agree. And that's what did you hear? Did, did you that's hear what happened to John Cornyn today in Texas? I don't know if you no, heard the opening I was, of the show. No, I did not. I was, I was, I've been, I've been doing stuff, getting ready for Father's Day. So, um, but what happened? Joe, well, you know, look, after these 19 children were slaughtered in Uvalde, Texas, Mitch McConnell sat down with John Cornyn. We began the show with a whole monologue on this. So you guys can always hear this back on the podcast or on demand or on the app. I will. Um, and, and they, they came up with this very, very bipartisan, 10 Democrats, 10 Republicans, really minor gun improvements, not anything I would call reform. But improvements like red flag laws, um, you know, the boyfriend closing the boyfriend loophole. It's already a, a federal crime, a federal law that guys who beat up their wives can't get guns. But now guys who beat up their girlfriends wouldn't be able to get guns. You know, not trying to raise the age to buy an AR-15 to 21, God forbid, but just expanded background checks and a brief waiting period if an 18-year-old tries to buy. You know, nothing the liberals wanted. No no high-capacity magazine ban. No Ronald Reagan assault weapons ban. Um, very watered down. And John Cornyn went to the Texas GOP convention today. He spoke for 14 minutes, and we played three clips, and you couldn't hear a word he said because he was booed and ridiculed the entire time. And to me, that's the real division. They say that the two parties are diametrically opposed. I think the real civil wars are within the parties. The Democrats are having a a little bit better together. The Bernie Hillary hate fest is is lightened up a bit. But what's going on between people who call themselves Republicans and then this corrosive cult of Trumpian selfishness in what used to be the party of Lincoln? That's what scares me, because John Cornyn is so right wing. He said, my heart breaks for the families in Uvalde. And the entire hall was booing him the entire time he said it. Well, you know, and that's unfortunate because, I mean, as you know, I mean, primary voters are the most left or right of the party, you know, yeah. left on one side and right on the other. And, and, and they go out and they vote in smaller numbers. So you've got a smaller pool of registered voters in a primary. Mm. I'm not sure that's and, true on the Democratic side, by the way. Not sure it's true on the Democratic well, side. I well, find I think, I think there are I, a lot more. If well, you look, if, I, if you look at look look at who they nominate for president, it's a lot more centrist. I mean, Joe Biden, 
Hillary Clinton, yeah. it's a bit more centrist in terms of primary well, voters. But I get where you're well, going the with big, this. You know, right, right. Well, the big, I mean, the big thing, at least here, you know, for me personally, I mean, it's, you know, it's tough because in, in the state of Maryland, to find a Republican uh, poll judge, it's like trying to find, you know, the rarest of, 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 of gems. Right. Uh, because it's basically, you know, and, and so I, I'm a registered Republican, so I can participate in the, in the process, but also assist in getting and making sure people get their votes correct. Okay. Or at least voted, voted right. So that's what's keeping me on that side of the fence. But but I've gone, I, I voted both sides based on the issues that, that are crucial to us. Right. Um, and unfortunately, I, it's, you know, and I, I applaud you for this. I mean, turnout is huge. And if you don't, if you don't come out, the you know the gig is up. Hmm. You know the gig is up. Yeah. Um, on e- I mean, because you know that you know at thirty seven percent, thirty seven percent of 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 the electric is going to vote that crazy way. Yeah. No matter what, I mean, you could you could throw an R next to a dog, but and get thirty two percent of the. Well, but even more so, okay. but it, that's that's 37% of the total electorate in the Republican Party. It's like 89 to 90% of Republicans will vote for people like Donald Trump. There's yeah, such unity. Scares me. And that's, that's well, the problem. Ronald, Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan could not get the nomination in, in the Republican Party in 2022. He could not get the nomination. No way. No way. And, 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 and you know, and heck Nixon would have been thrown out I mean besides what he did yes he would have well yeah but but if you look at if you look at his policies that I supported like the EPA and so forth like that I'm an old fart I mean so no um, you're not that's not an old thing to do no Nixon listen I I say Nixon was the last Republican president who actually did anything for non-millionaires with the earned income tax credit he was the last Republican president who did anything that put non-millionaires ahead of millionaires and here's the thing though what 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 he did not do, there was two things I was disappointed in. He Only didn't two? He didn't index it for inflation. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm talking about it on policy side, on policy. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I better watch my mouth there. Okay, so. <laughs> no worries. What, what I meant it is the 50 year. It is the 50-year anniversary of something today, by the way, so it's, if we're going to talk about Nixon. Well, you know, I, I'm, turning, I'm turning the page as a, good, as a good spiritual man looking at his positives. For right right on. The negatives, right on. We, all, we all know. We all okay. know. Okay. And, 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 you know, John, John Dean's my hero. But I have the, no problem uh, praising the good things Nixon did, as you can tell. Right. But here's but here's where here's where it hurt us as a, as a country, because it, and it kind of tilted aside. He didn't index it for inflation. So more as as the value of the dollar all messed up, we had more and more people who really did who. Uh, and this is also the other the other side too. the AMT. They also did AMT. Right. So you had two sides. of it. He didn't index it for inflation. So that way, we we more people who needed the earned income, earned income tax credit didn't get it. Mm-hmm. He didn't in, index for inflation A and T, which meant more people that should not have gotten double taxed got taxed down right. the road. And that's where and that caused all the rift. Because let's face it, it's oh I don't want my taxes raised. I want you to raise the taxes over there. That's right. Know, or vice versa. Yeah. And so those two issues, to me was the seed of it. And then, of course, the, the powder keg was the, was Newt Gingrich trying to trying to go ballistic and not, yep. and not use the word compromise. So you would agree. But, but see, this is but, the, but this is the problem the Republican Party has now. And, and I call it the Dave Bratt theory, because remember Eric Cantor, who used to okay. run the, 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 the House oh, yeah. for the Republicans yeah. every week, oh, yeah. he would go up there and meet with Barack Obama 
And he would say no to everything. He would say no to everything, and he would fundraise off the fact that he said no to everything. And then one day, a guy more racist and corporate than him came along named Dave Bratt, and he primaried him. And he primaried him saying, can you believe that, Eric Cantor? Eric Cantor meets with Barack Obama every week. I would never meet with Barack Obama. And it worked. And ever since then, Republicans are in this death spiral where they can't cooperate at all with Democrats because, well, hang on, literally, if they do their jobs, they lose their jobs. And John Cornyn proved that today with the Texas GOP convention. Well, well, you know, I got I got to hear that because that's crazy. I mean, I it goes back even further than that. It goes back to 78, you know, uh, post Watergate. I mean, it's got to be because if you look if you look at all the centrists and I, I worked on the Hill for like six years and there was there was a core of seven or eight senators, about 25 to 30 Congress people that you could you could work with. And, yeah, you had your Jesse Helms on one side. You had your Ted Kennedy on the other side in the Senate. You know, Strom Thurmond, which was a crazy dude. You know, whatever. Oh, yeah. But you <laughs> could have. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, um, no, this is, but, the, this is the, the fantasia that Joe Biden talks about, that I can work with these guys. Right. And, and unfortunately, the seeds were planted in 78. It came to fruition in 92. The Democratic Party decided, well, liberal is a bad name, so they become a DLC party and yep. elect Clinton. And yep. I think that hurt their party as well. Because well, I think I, I think they went with Clinton because they felt he was the most electable out there. I think if, if Jerry Brown had gotten the Democratic nomination 30 years ago, it'd be a very different country today. Oh, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, it, it's just that it, it, it irked the, the progressives, which is now yeah. the new liberal. Yeah. You know, and that so that rift in the Democratic Party started when they when they lurched to the to the you know Democratic Leadership Council, which was that basically a centralist thing and 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 went to Wall Street to grab money. So now right both, sides getting, both sides were getting money. Now you spiraled out even further. Now you got Citizens United, which now yeah. one guy can, can basically, you know, bankroll someone. I mean, Newt Gingrich was in the friggin. Uh, primaries because of one exactly. And that's how it is. You don't need to show a photo. You have, you have to show a photo ID to vote in an election, but you don't need to show any kind of ID to buy one. Mark, I've got to run because I've got 7,000 people on hold, but I really do enjoy it. Thank you for your sanity and your courtesy. Oh, I'm, I'm likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm, I'm praying for your party because the party of Lincoln is not even the party of quail anymore. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Ed in Pennsylvania. Thank you very much. Welcome. Hey, John. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I want to tell you first, my daughter and I saw you at QED two weeks ago. I love the show. Oh, that was a fun uh, night. Yeah. I, in fact, I was the old guy sitting in the back when you walked by when you were leaving. I said, well done, John. He said, hey, thanks. So, oh, thank you very much. Me. Thank you. But uh, I live in, uh, my daughter was in Astoria. I, I live in uh, central PA, the anthracite coal region. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about Trumpism. It, it's bad here and it's getting worse. 
and yeah. I've been involved in local politics for almost 40 years. I've never seen it so bad. Guys what like would Reagan it take? as well. What, what would it take for these folks to wake up? Like, would it take a footage of Donald Trump laughing at them and counting their money? What would it take for them to realize? Because, you know, they never believed that Bush and Cheney conned them until Trump told them. Bush and Cheney had conned them, and now they've all turned Cheney loose. Could, like, a Ron DeSantis become the next cult leader and tell them all that Trump was a con man, and then they'd finally believe their new master? It just seems like authoritarianism 101. They're a cult. Yes, yes, but it's crazy. These are some Democratic areas. I've been involved in local politics, uh, as I said, but Democratic areas have been voting Republican for a while now, but they love Trump. Uh, yeah. I mean, more so than any other Republican. And Reagan, I thought, at least made a better image, right? He looked, well, he looked Reagan like played, Reagan played the role. Reagan wasn't very Christian in his policies, but he played the role of, like, you know, uh, a moral antidote to 1960s and 70s excess. And that was the character he played. Um, his policies weren't Christian or moral in the slightest. And we're only beginning to finally tell the truth about how racist Reagan was. But, you know, Donald Trump was very seductive. He came out and said, hey, folks, I'm an amoral douchebag. I stole from people with a university. I got away with everything. I want to be corrupt for you. And the one thing that unites all Trump supporters is this penchant for authoritarianism. They want a strong man. It's really seductive. It, yeah, and it's a celebrity thing and a racism. Yeah. I, I have relatives, oh, yeah. and I, I follow your lead, by the way. I like the way you are, not are you, but try to persuade people. And I, I do that, but Many people, you're just not going to convince them. I think our whole nope. Pennsylvania, quite frankly, is the suburbs, the Philadelphia suburbs. Yeah, uh, Pennsylvania. That, I mean, Pennsylvania is like New York State. You have the entire political spectrum from from far left to far right in one state. Exactly, exactly. But I, one last thing, I'll stop dominating your time here. But I was <laughs> a local counsel for the, the, the state Democratic Committee when my county did the recount. So the Trump campaign sent in a guy from Philly and a guy from Virginia. And all they did was object to everything. Now, remember, he won this county by like 70%. He had 70% of the vote. There was no fight here for them. They just wanted to delay the certification, to delay everything. And it's a Republican county. Finally, the the board said, look, why are you doing this? Uh, You know, the recount board was basically commissioners. Why are you doing this? You're, You're objecting to every vote, including Republican votes. Yeah. It was just crazy. And eventually they said, okay, yeah, you're right. And they left. But I thought, geez, they're just nuts. They're absolutely yeah, nuts. That's it. And it's a fervor. I, I think they like said it's turn out in the suburbs. My concern is, you know, the midterms, of course, with inf- uh, inflation and everything, you know. Yeah. And by the way, the the billionaire class is making it worse and the media is making it worse. You know, when, exactly. when billionaires aren't feeling the pinch, when, when profits are still high but prices are high, it's not inflation. It's price gouging. And the people who own our country don't want Joe Biden to raise their taxes 3%. And that's driving so much of it. I got to go, but I really appreciate the call, Ed. I'm terrified. Hey, thanks, but this is, this is America. It, it has to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Every time. Well, hang in there. You're Every doing a good time. job. I appreciate your show. Thanks again. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. 866-997-GRIT is our number, Mitch in Kent State. What did you think of Paul McCartney? You were there. Yeah, John. Can you hear me? I hear you. Yeah, super, John. You know, the best part to me and my daughter, who I want to thank for my Father's Day and birthday gift, was the rain coming down during during the little that die. I mean, you talk about. Can you believe it? The one time it started raining on us, the one time it was started raining on us was when there was fireworks and flames all over the place. It was hilarious. Yeah. Exactly. Fire and rain. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, it's it's so great. I mean, um, you know, I. Just everything about it. I mean, we uh, actually, John, I want to thank the stadium also because we were sitting about midfield on the floor 
And the usher comes up to us and checking our tickets, and she goes, excuse me, um, will you follow me? And I said, whoa, are we in trouble or what? Here she takes us up to the 20th row to the front. Wow. Look at you. Yeah, we just picked out. I could not believe it. I'll talk about unbelievable. We just picked the two of us out, and we got to go up to the front there, like 12 20 rows back. Very nice. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> they, nice. Do that at, they do that at MetLife with all the security risks. They like to put the security <laughs> risks up front where they can keep an eye on them. Yeah. <laughs> I, my, my mother works for Garth Brooks. I know and they'll take people on nosebleeds, you know, and bring them down to the front. You know, That's but, right. Uh, I just, just, That's right. Just unbelievable. I mean, just, just super. I mean, the story. Well, about, McCartney, uh, McCartney cares a lot about security, so they try to find the least threatening-looking people in the entire stadium and move them up to the first ten <laughs> rows, Mitch. So, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, John. So good. I, I still had a lemonade waiting for you and your son, but uh, I'm, I'm, I hope you guys enjoyed it. But it was just yeah, we, my, but we we loved it. It was amazing, and I, I thank you very much. It was a, a great, great show. Again, happy birthday to Paul McCartney, 80 tomorrow. I've I've had the pleasure of working with Paul a couple of times uh, on TV and on stage, and he's always been a prince to me. And I want to also thank uh, our listener Kurt from Pennsylvania, who I met when I was buying Dippin' Dots ice cream for my kid, and and, uh, and had some very nice words about our uh, our programming during the pandemic. Not not a fan of Chris at all. Couldn't stand him. But uh, but like like son of a yeah, it happens. Happens more than I let you know actually. 